Hello and welcome to another episode of Spark Hub. My name is Alan, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dino Burbage, who is currently the head of innovation at Sky. Now, how he got there and how he got that title is a story in and of itself. But my first introduction to Dino was actually via an infographic, which you'll hear about in the early part of the discussion. And since then, Dino and I have crossed paths twice professionally in marketing agencies, where he's always held an innovation role. Now, how he got there is again pretty much the subject of this discussion. But it paints a picture for your children. What do you do to spark their interest? And frankly, learning everything and anything so that one day they can end up doing something innovative, interesting. That's what that's what the topic is today: innovation, science, math, how to learn stuff, how to really spark an interest in a child so that it pays off huge in the future. As always, there's more information in the show notes. However, there's also Dino's list, which you hear about, and this is Dino's list of things he wants to achieve. It's kind of his bucket list for himself as well as his children and his family. So uh, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Hope you enjoy the list. He gives us, a, I think, the top ten during the discussion. Meantime, without further ado, please enjoy this discussion with Dino Burbage. So Dino, thanks for uh, for coming on to Spark Hub. It's it's a pleasure. I can't wait to get into it. As is tradition, though, we always let our guests lead with a quote that inspires them or sparks them to use the brand language. So I'd love to hear your quote. I'm not quite sure where this came from, but um, I, I truly live by this, which is if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. It's, it, it was either that or uh, Jim Carrey, uh, a single quote, which is yes. Which is awesome. He's <laughs> like, yeah. What, what, what's the question? Yes, is the answer. So, I, I I love your philosophy. The the first quote because I always when I go into meetings of any kind, I just assume I'm the dumbest guy in the room, and it's always worked out well that way. Let's tell people who you are. So when I first met you, there was an infographic about you, and it had your shape, uh, and it said fifty percent designer and fifty percent coder, I think, or something like that. And that was my first introduction to you when we initially started working together. But I'd love you to. Tell us a little bit about your background, innovation, who you are, and then we're going to get into the topic, which is how do you self-teach, which I'm, I can't wait to get to. But start with who you are. I am currently um, sat in the glorious Osterley in West London at Sky. I'm sat in the, the deepest parts of the Sky Innovation Center, uh, for I am now an innovation coach. So I help people through their problems, um, should we say, or opportunities, as we call them these days, to be politically correct. But I use a lot of my skills that I've learned along the way with cuts and bruises and all sorts of trials and tribulations to bring to bear on somebody else's problem. I don't solve it anymore. I help other people solve it. So um, that's why I'm an innovation coach. I'm not an innovator anymore, although it's it's part and parcel. However, where I came from is uh, slightly eclectic. Grew up in an organic world in the 70s. Um, farms are part of my family. So um, mucking about on farms, breaking things, you know, exploding things, firing things, setting fire to things, helping things give birth, that sort of thing. Then bizarrely then ended up really being into electronics for lots of weird reasons. I think for my sixth birthday, uh, we didn't have a lot of money back in the day. And I said, what, you know, what do you want for your birthday? And I just wanted an old television, broken television. And I set about it weeks taking every single component to pieces that's the sort of kid i was weirdly and you know and ended up um, thinking i need to do electronics wasn't particularly clever at school um let's just say c would have been a good day for me as a grade 
that didn't stop me being interested in stuff. And that's not the reason why I did my school subjects. I usually did chemistry so I could steal the chemicals. Um, yeah, magnesium was hard to come by when you're 14. Let's just say that. Then, then ended up not really getting on with electronics because you need to be quite smart to do that and you need math. So I did a, a creative degree in information design. And information design just blew me away because it was just being really, really clear what or what, how to communicate with somebody using design and communication methods. You have to really distill down those, uh, you know, what, what is the core of what you're trying to say and how do you communicate it very simply? And because I, I love computers, I had loads of computers, BBC micros, all that sort of stuff back in the day. I then started making CD-ROMs. I then went to the BBC, made lots of kids content, which is where I really started getting into the kids world. Um, so Teletubbies, Noddy, Pingu, all those sorts of things. Um, I've even got a BAFTA tucked down the, the sofa somewhere for noddy i think when they were giving out baftas for weird stuff back in the day it was like it was, there was a three years where you could pretty much get a bafta um just for anything and i you know managed to get one of those thank you went from strength to strength then ended up working for a friend over at fox kids who we made games and they got bought by disney so i ended up working for disney de facto which is then i then worked for an agency that did the work for disney uh and that's where i met you so uh, so making websites and, and flying over to L.A. and reading scripts and trying to figure out how you can make games and making the games and programming and all that sort of stuff. Um, then left mobile music industry stuff. Never do that. That is my one thing. Um, not a regret. It's, everything's a learning, but that's that. Then went to an ad agency. No, no, went to Moshi Monsters. So worked with Moshi Monsters, helped launch the Moshi Monsters movie, worked on the toys, did the promotions, that sort of thing. Then went to an ad agency. Uh, where I met you again. So uh, there you go. And yeah, so Ad Agency is an innovation director helping big brands figure out how they could really stand out by doing, quite frankly, wacky stuff and figure out whether it could be done. And then I ended up at Sky. Um, so all the way through, I've been, when somebody says, well, make a decision, what are you? Are you techie or are you a creative? You're a business person or are you, you know, are you a musician or are you a, and exactly what you said at the beginning, you know, there was a poster on the wall, which was half creative, half technical. Uh, and if I was going to work in the quantum world, I would say there's a lot of other halves in there that can exist at the same time. Anyway, this is, that's probably the longest intro that anybody's ever given to the very No, short. not really. They're, I've had longer intros, don't worry. But it's a fascinating journey and it pays very much into what I'm trying to do with Spark Hub, which is imagine a future, right? Imagine uh, your kid as an adult and, and how, what are the sparks that get them there? And so that all those little sparks and all those little sort of sliding doors uh, led you us to, to work together and all the stuff you do. And I think innovation is crucial because it's you know, I, I grew up in a world where most parents had a job for life. And I'm, I'm assuming it was similar over here. You would commit 30 to 40 years of your of your existence to, say, one company, maybe two, and it was taboo. And, of course, all that's changed and revolutionized. Where what, One question I had for you as an innovator, which is uh, one that I pose to lots of guests, is imagine being a kid today, right? Everything's automated, AI's uh, on the horizon. How do you spark an interest in children to just try kind of try everything because my philosophy is prepubescent they should try as much as they can schools obviously have budgets and constraints but what are outside the classroom things that can spark people's interest because fundamentally i think everyone is going to end up similar to what you do which is you have to reinvent yourself constantly so what is the the method that you you would suggest for children or, or people or parents to help their kids just kind of learn as much as they can to prepare for the world that you know we can't really foresee I think it starts with the parents uh, and it, or, or shall I say a, a role model that is a significant role model in their lives. I, I can remember again back in the 70s in the back of the car 
whisking through the Cotswolds somewhere. And every single question I would ask of my father, and my mum and dad split up when we were two, so it was always like one of those kind of weird weekend visits where you'd have like a, you know, blabbling, oh, what about this, what about that? You know, you could ask anything uh, of my dad and he would have an answer. How does a windmill work? Why is sky blue? You know, um, you know, when you put your hand out the window of a car, you know, what, why does it go up and down when you do a wiggly thing? You know, whatever it was, you know, within limits, there would always be an answer. And I just thought that was amazing. That's what I wanted to be when I grew up, is I wanted to be somebody who could answer every question. I wanted to take on that mantle because it was like, because everything you know allows you to be, you could be dangerous, but you could also have magic. So if, if you have the patience to learn something, that is almost your gateway to learning about complexity. And only once you've learned, learned the complexity of something can you then kind of understand it and make it simple. And once you've got it made it simple, you become a master of it. And then that's when it looks like magic. You know, it looks like you're, you, you're really in your flow. And I love that, you know, I mean, it, I mean, this is an awful thing to say, but I, I know which hole of a socket to put a knitting needle in and it'll be absolutely fine because I know exactly how they work. And I know that the UK three pin socket is one of the best pieces of design that's ever happened. It is absolutely phenomenal. It's safe. It's got earth. It's got this. It's got that. You can't even put something in the other two prongs unless the earth pin is in there, which is, by the way, longer than the other two pins. You know, all of this sort of stuff where you go, well, I can I can do anything I want with that knowledge now. So I think it's that. I, I, I love the idea of looking like something is is magic and people go, how on earth are you doing that? You go, well, I've gone through the pain barrier of learning about the complexity of this to know what I can then do with it. I can now start building on top of, you know, the cheesecake, the base layer is there. I'm now doing the sprinkles and I'm, I'm now doing the cool stuff on top. So I think it's it's having somebody who's just, who says, yeah, but what, it's okay, give it a go. You know, have a go at it. Um, because I know that it's a safe thing to do because I don't, you know, it's irresponsible to then say, hey, let's go and stick knitting needles in things. Of course it is. But teaching the lesson through a little bit of active fear, I think, is really, really useful as well. So I was always let loose um, within within boundaries. And I think that freedom uh, is really, really, really important. How do how do then do you and I agree, by the way, on the freedom bit, but I suppose what I I, I read a stat which says if you look at the span of a human life, call it 80 years or whatever it is, 80%, 80% of your learning opportunities are outside formal education. So 20% is at school, 80%. And it's, it's great to let kids while, and as you say, let parents, you know, guide that and hopefully instill it. But, you know, the kids do have to spend a lot of time at school. And I wonder how we can make that better. Have you, have you, have you seen anything in the formal education system that is getting better, allowing the freedom? Or does it solely fall outside of the classroom where hopefully they can come home and be a little bit crazier and watch YouTube about putting needles in sockets and learning those lessons outside of school? Where do you see the balance coming to make sure that education is, is rounder and fuller from both teachers and parents? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm not really getting, getting into the discussion about, you know, who, who should have the responsibility of teaching because a lot of parents will devolve it onto the school and even say manners and all those sorts of things and and and. Just, just even language uh, as well. The school haven't taught it. However, um, I'm not a massive fan of the education system the way it currently sits. It's it's a toothpaste tube that squeezes a lot of children through a relatively formulaic process to try and, you know, I think this has been well covered before, to, to you know, to try and give you the basics. Now, 
you know, those basics did not work for me. I've ended up having to relearn them because I found the practical use of the thing that I was supposed to have been taught when I was 13 years old. It was never taught with a practical intent. So the, the there's a cascade for me. There's a, I need to, so as an example, you get in your car and the, the little red light that says check engine is on. And you go, okay, most people will say, well, I don't know what the point of that is. So I'm going to go to a garage. And and what they do is they go, well, let's, let's turn it over. Let's listen to it. Like, let's see if there's anything obvious because they're looking for stuff. And then they put in the OBD2 port socket and it reads all the diagnostics of the car. And then they'll go, oh, it's the pre-cat sensor on bank two. Uh, and, I, and I'll be sitting there going, well, I know what that means because it's the pre-catalytic converser on bank two because I've got a, you know two banks of cylinders. And if it's the pre-cat, so that's the bit before the catalytic converter, so it's a bit just on the engine manifold. And the, the, the oxygen sensor is the bit that knows how much fuel is coming through the engine because the air, it's a mass airflow sensor. So you, I know you can take them out because you can then put methanol on them to clean them. And if that doesn't work, then you probably just need to replace it. You know, uh, but you need to get the temperature right because some of them have to heat up to a lot. So all of this stuff that I'll be sitting there, most people say a light has come on and they won't need to know about that and they'll just take it. And all of that learning is being given to somebody else to do. Um, and my my approach is, no, you could do that. You know, you, 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 everybody is smart. Everybody. You know, if you... You know, you go, oh, they're only a plumber. To be a plumber is really difficult. There's a lot of stuff going on to be a plumber. You know, they're, oh, they're only an electrician. There's even more to be an electrician. And all of those, all of those things take, you know, oh, it's the person who just checks the tire pressures on a drag car just before it goes down the thing. You go, yeah, but you need to know about how to be around a methanol top fuel racer. You need to know all about, yeah, there's so much stuff you need to know. And I want that. I want that. You know, and I, I'm like, why, if they can learn it, I can learn it as well. So that entire, like the lights come on on your car, to me, means there's a triangle underneath it of practicality. Um, and each one of those things is going to be useful at some other point because I've now got one extra little little slither I can put into some, some other chain of events. And some, you know, there'll be somebody who will then say, oh, the, my car's broken down on the side of the road. Well, it's not my car, but I know I've got an ODB2 port reader right now and I can actually come round and I've got the Bluetooth app on my phone and I can diagnose it. And I've got a motorbike because I took my test because I was curious of what that was about as well. And I now have a motor, uh, you know, and I, I just collect possible solutions to problems that haven't happened yet, but they're all practical. It's almost like building a mountain with layers of paint. Yes. Yeah, it's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> A hundred percent agree. And I think that, you know, you're, you're definitely a person who got sparked young. I'm just, you know, my concern now is the future is even moving quicker and faster and there's more and more powerful tools. So I, I appreciate you use a tool to diagnose your engine, but there'll be a day when you can have a chip in your head that'll do it for you or something. And so I guess one of my missions with SparkUp is to find ways to innovate and, and get kids to learn so that teachers and parents can pass it on. It could be a YouTube video. I'll give you an example. My son's 10, but he, he, he binges on YouTube science videos. He comes crashing through my door in the morning at 6 a.m., listing off all these ingredients that he needs to build a bomb to blow the toilet up. Now, he'll never blow the toilet up on my watch and probably my wife's watch, but I like the fact that he's sort of educating himself with all this great content out there. The only downside to it is it doesn't feel like it's curated in any meaningful way, number one. And number two, the parents are probably going to end up losing, you know, you need a dummy's guide to this stuff for the parents as well. So to, to come round, round back to my question, how are we taking what, what you know, you, is so natural to you in this idea and, and empowering teachers to do it and empowering parents to do it? What are the tools out there that we can, we can kind of use to instill that from a young age? 
Well, uh, first of all, I should go out saying I have actually blown up a toilet in my house. I can tell you exactly how to do it. Um, no surprise. No surprise. Yeah. No, but I mean, but there's always so the, the things that are new. It doesn't mean that you, you can't break them down. Like I've just said, you know, what's the practical version of it? So Web three. You say, well, what, what's the point of Web three? Cryptocurrencies, blockchains, um, you know, NFTs. So the way I would approach it is, in the way I have approached it with my children, is you would then say. Okay, YouTube. Okay, you're on YouTube all the time. Let's make a video and you upload it. And then they can all of a sudden see that they're not getting the, the, the likes or whatever it is. Or and if they don't want to do that, they're on social media and you go, okay, so the reason that is working is so you actually make it relevant to what they're doing. Um, my son was like, well, can, he's, he's actually working on a or worked on a, a fake cryptocurrency. So it gives you fake cryptocurrency. You do all the stuff and you, you apply to the market and he's just doing that to have a go at it. So it's make everything practical. So all the new things, it's the same thing. Just m- make a practical version of it. Because I think there's so many theoretical things that, you, that people don't see the point in. And that there is a point in them. It's just that you haven't actually figured out what the practical thing is at the end of it. Maths was my absolute Achilles heel at school. And there was no point to it until I found out about computer games and programming computer games. So if you want something to fall out of the sky like it's got gravity, you don't have to program all of that weird gravity stuff that you see in science fiction movies. It literally is plusing a number and minusing a number, and it looks like gravity. It's just there was no uh, sine and cosine. I can remember those tables you used to get with zero and minus and minus zero point, whatever it is. There was no logic to them. You know, what's the sine of seven minus 0.3? What's the sine of eight? One you know, and it's like, what, what, it makes no sense. No correlation, until, yeah. Until you until you start drawing it on a screen because a computer can help you. And you say, you know, just what's the sign of a number that just increases to infinity? And you see the sign of the number that increases to infinity just wavers between one and minus one constantly. Just wavers between one, minus one. You go, oh, well, that's why the numbers of any number when it's a sign is between one and minus one. So you went, well, what if I plot it on the other axis as well? It makes a figure of eight. Oh, I don't want a figure of eight. I want a circle. So I need to sort of shift it, one of them by 90 degrees. You go, that's what a cosine is. It's a 90 degree shifted sine wave. So you can draw circles a lot better. You know, and it's, it's when you see it and there's a practical, because now I can draw circles. I can now make a game that has lily pads that are circles. I can generate on the fly. So it's like make everything real because I think we're, we're, you know, everything becomes theoretical and everything becomes out of touch unless it's real. So that's, that's my only, that's all I've ever done. I want to go back in time and restart the society, you know, go, go to the middle ages, go to the sort of the seventh and eighth centuries or wherever the middle ages were about then, I think it was sort of 10th century or something. I'd love to go back into the dark ages and re- like, just basically claim the copyright for everything and call everything. You know, when you say, well, what would I call? Oh, it's the Archimedes screw. No, 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 that's the Dino screw, you know, when I invented it. And everything, like, somebody now will go, why is everything called Dino? You know, because I've gone back and I've gone, well, you know, silicon and penicillin and, and, and electronics and, and medical stuff. And, you know, like the arteries in the... You know, that's that's my everything is practical. Come the apocalypse, could I restart society? Um, could I purify water? Could I make electricity? Could I store electricity? Uh, could I predict the weather? Can, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's like that's practical. Um, so it's having, uh, I guess, it's having a a top layer that you're aiming for. What's your north star? My north star is is learning about everything, and I see the value in that, and therefore everything's fair game.
And well, YouTube, by the way, is where I get most of it from. Um, I don't watch films particularly. I don't really read books. As soon as I want to find out something, there is there is a YouTube video that will lead me to then probably go into a scientific paper or something like that. But YouTube, you know, this light speed learning in in quoting quotes is exactly was exactly made for my brain. I know enough about so much stuff just to be dangerous and no more. Well, it's also made for my son's brain, so it, it seems to be working. I've got one son who just binges YouTube and will never read a book, and another son who kind of dabbles but likes reading. So what I'm, what I'm finding as a parent, to circle back to your point, is what's going to spark them? And one will be visual and one will be a read one. Now, interestingly, when I was growing up, I struggled in school. I was more like a B. You know, B was good for me, but I, 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 unless I understood the purpose of it, I didn't get it. And one, at one point, I was struggling with fractions and, and, and just understanding what they meant. And then my dad gave me an old camera, full film camera, fully manual. And on the camera, you had an aperture ring and you had a focus ring and you had all the sort of, you know, shutter speeds and all the sort of basics of photography. And photography is essentially three things, shutter speed, film, uh, film sensitivity and aperture. And then you can create imagery. And as soon as I developed a passion for photography, fractions became easy because I looked at it and went, ah, oh, that's a half stop. Or I had some reference point that I knew would enable me to create beautiful photography. Now, of course, learning it all manually and having to have charts where you have to estimate the distance to an object to set your flash to the right level, all of that stuff was fun and I loved it. And I miss it because now, you know, modern photography is uh, just point and click and the computer does all the work. But as you say, I understand how to get an image from the, the, the baseline up. I understand all of the science behind photography because I took an interest in it and suddenly fractions became easy. And then that transferred to business and that transferred to video production. And that, so like you, I sort of ping ponged around with this knowledge and it just opened all these doors for me. So it's a fascinating. And I will pick up on one other point you said about the apocalypse you will no doubt have heard or possibly watched on YouTube that there is now huge discoveries of ancient civilizations that are pushing the timeline of, of amazing tech way past the pyramids uh, or, or further back. And now there's LIDAR scans in the Amazon and they're finding ancient civilizations built. And so one, uh, one podcast I listened to made an interesting point. The hunter-gatherer, you know, learning how to eat and cook your own food and make your own food, that's probably pretty a crucial skill because even though the world may may not have a an apocalyptic moment if you don't have those skills intellect isn't going to help you at all so it's probably good to be street smart as well as youtube smart um but i'd love to hear why why you why you think that's a key skill to sort of uh to to sort of keep the hunter gatherer skills alive why is that crucial for you and your family a lot of um what drives me is is jeopardy I think it, there's there's a lack of jeopardy in a lot of what people do these days. It doesn't matter if something doesn't quite work because there's probably another something else behind. When I grew up, you know, even even when I went to university, I was the first person in my first person, yeah, first, first child in my family to go to university. And we didn't have money, you know, full student grants, everything was paid for because we did not have any money. We were means tested. I had free school dinners throughout my entire, you know, schooling or sandwiches, whatever. And it was like this... I can't fail at this. There was jeopardy to have to learn. Um, so I, I, at the end of this, I want a job because I have to stand on my own two feet when I'm 22 years old, et cetera. And the rest have been, you know, the rest has been a, a great trip. But I've always got this wolf behind me chasing jeopardy. You know, it's very easy to go back there. I think anybody who's not had money 
when they do come into money they are they are driven to carry on because they they know what's behind them if it it only takes two years to draw through all of your money or six months or whatever it is and then you're, you're back at nothing again if you're born into money then as i say there's no jeopardy there's always an auntie or an uncle or something who could probably bail you out i don't have that and i've never had that so i think the the jeopardy of and we get this in business as well like what happens if you don't do that thing and many people don't have jeopardy in their work these days because it's you know there's an automation thing or there's a there's a thing or there's there's a, it's so well orchestrated that if you fail there's a fail safe you know so i think that the jeopardy is same as hunter gathering if you don't solve this problem you will starve um but in times of plenty if you can solve in advance you will put stuff in your stock for when there is a hard time or whether there's a tribe that turns up and wants to you know attack you you go well we've got new we've, we've got weapons now you know uh, and th there are sort of very there's sort of clear moments in my life where i've recognized that jeopardy is the the driver of innovation i think there was um uh captain kirk when he went to uh, a planet i can't exactly remember what it was there was sort of a an alien on a planet that he was being judged i think it was called arena the the, the episode if you look it up and there was you know some monster you know some, some prince in the suit um but captain kirk all of a sudden went wait a minute you know and looked around him and went well here's some potassium nitrate on as sand and here's some sulfur and here's some charcoal and i can make a rudimentary cannon and shoot the thing uh, I mean, there's there's a lot wrong with it because that's not exactly how gunpowder works. But, you know, I just thought, oh, you know, it was Captain Kirk's jeopardy that caused it. Uh, and I don't know whether you you probably won't remember, uh, but Finger Mouse back in, again, the 70s, very classic kids cartoon, Finger Mouse. And there was a crow. And I can remember watching it. And it, it was I think it was the first time I had my mind actually blown by science. And it was a crow that was thirsty. And it's one of Aesop's fables, it turns out. And it was just delivered through a kids cartoon character, which was... It was a bloke with his finger in a cone trying to be a crow and the crow wanted to drink out of the water and he couldn't. So therefore the crow got some rocks and put it in the glass of water and the, the water rose and they could drink out of the water or the glass. And you think, oh, that is amazing. Um, and that was an that was one of Aesop's fables. I don't know what number it was, but it was like, you know, 600 and something. There was a lot of other fables before it that would have been brilliant to learn from. But I can just remember thinking it was the crow had to save its life using in ingenuity and innovation. I can still think then, like, that really stuck out. That's why I can remember it. It was J James T. Kirk, you know, <laughs> shooting a guy in a lizard suit and a crow trying to get a drink out of a glass of water. These, they just stuck in, burnt into my mind uh, of just jeopardy caused innovation and learning to happen. How can you simulate that, though? And let's say in a world that kids are growing up without any jeopardy, is there a way to sim simulate it? I mean, is there any new technology out there so that they are reminded? So, for example... Remembrance Day is very poignant for me um, because I have family members that were in World War II um, and, I, and I have, you know, in living memory and my uncle who teaches history and all this type of stuff. But for the new kids, they just don't get it. They don't understand the suffering unless uh, something like a hands-on history comes in their classroom and brings it alive with costumes and getting people into battle formations and letting them use weapons. So that's obviously one thing is live demos in classrooms. But I wonder how we can continue to tell these stories beyond YouTube. So even if someone is never in jeopardy, they can at least still prepare mentally for it. And I wonder if you've seen anything that, that can be useful in that regard. Well, I mean, almost the opposite of jeopardy is kind of reward, um, like the good stuff. So, you know, the band, like if you, do, if you don't do that, you will die. The opposite is obviously, if you do do that, you'll get a great reward for it. And you go, oh, that's great. So 
it doesn't have to be jeopardy. There just it has to be some reason for you putting some value onto the thing that you're doing. And, and jeopardy is a great driver, but it, it's a it's a pusher and it's not a puller. So the puller is a reward. Like what will happen? Where will I get to? If you do this, you'll get that. So you don't have to you, know, you don't have to sort of you know and, unless you stand out in the cold and unless you the, the ten times table, you can't come back in. It, it's more like um, when my, my son was doing his A level revision. You just go, okay, let's put all the post-its on the wall. Let's try and get everything out. And the way we then did it is you, you need some visual stimulus for this. So all, every subject you've got, let's just draw a little a rectangular box and you color it in your progress along that thing. And if we hit three of these progress bars completely done, then this is we'll agree a prize. You know, it's a sort of relatively standard bribery of, of children to do uh, to do a task. You know, and, it, and that, all of a sudden, the jeopardy was the opposite. So if I don't do it, I don't get the money. You know, and there the jeopardy is actually the positive. So I'm not saying that you have to be, you know, I'm far from it. You know, that you don't have to be harsh about this, but there needs to be some reason for doing it. To me, a lot of it is about, I find knowledge cool. Where is it now? It's somewhere in front of me right now. It's in my pocket, actually. I, I bought a device that allows you to have things. And I saw it on the internet and I thought, oh, I want one of those. It allows me to clone credit cards. It allows me to open garage doors, turn off TVs in pubs. Um, you know, your security pass, I can I can crack those, for instance. I can store them, I can rewrite them, I can do all sorts of stuff. So people go, what, why? Why are you interested in that? You go, well, A, why not? Um, it's, again, post-apocalyptic skill is getting into buildings using cloned security cards. Surely, I see it on the movies, it's kind of cool when the spies do it. And then all of a sudden, I've got the device, and I, it's like magic. So um, Hillary, my wife, like is convinced I'm going to get uh, thrown into prison by the police for having this device, and it's a to- it's a totally legal device. But I'll go look. I can now control the TV, and she's going, "How are you doing that? It's magic." You go, "I know, isn't that cool?" You know, it's the it's the Amoretti paper at the end of the dinner where you light it and it flies up into the air. You go, "That's science looking like magic," and it's kind of cool. So. I think that's the point is when all of a sudden the nerdy the hard work that school says le- learning is has a practical and a cool outcome, that's when I'm interested in it. So, you know, uh, there was a really good example um, where we used to work. We, we wanted a game. It was a pinball game. We used pinball physics. And somebody came up and said, yeah, I'll do that. I'm a contract. It was way more complicated than I could take on. Um, and he said, yeah, I'll do it. And then about three or four days into it, he said, look, you know, this this code that I'm doing is so good that I'm going to actually have to charge you uh, a rental on it. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, that's not the thing. And and just out of moral obligation, I went, look, that's not how this works. It's, you know, we agreed. And, you know, our word is, it's not a bad contract either, by the way. You're, you're just kind of... You, you're kind of taking the mickey here so i went right okay that's it the contract is over i'll do it and he's and i can remember him saying you won't it's difficult you need me and i went in which case i'll do it even better kind of thing and you know bear in mind i got like i think i got a c or a d at o level at maths not a great thing especially sine waves cosines tangents vectors all that sort of stuff and i then had to go away and get a book back in the day and learn vector mathematics um, you know, unit vectors, all sorts of stuff like that. And I, you, you know what? I made that game. I made that game in three weeks. And and because there was jeopardy, like if we didn't do this, we're going to lose the contract with Disney. If I did do it, what a massive moral victory over uh, over the situation. It wasn't really, it wasn't a spiteful thing or anything. It was just like, I want to prove that I could have done it. 
you know you know so that had both things in it. It, it and it was cool at the end of it it was a game that was cool and i've in my mind i think that is one of the biggest things i've ever done in my life is i programmed a physics engine with a ball a pinball game other people it, you know <laughs> yes of course my children being born is amazing and everything but it's a pinball engine of course so yeah so <laughs> so that had everything that had jeopardy and reward in it but also learning became cool and looked like magic so it's all good we, we all have to have our first loves I remember when we were working together, there was a case study around, uh, you may recall this, Tinkering School. Does that ring a bell? Mm. Yes. And it had five or six absolute must things that kids have to do, like how to use a knife, how to light a fire, how to crack DRM. I can't remember all of them, but there was like this list of like core life skills. And when my kids were young, we started to take them to forest school on the weekend so they could le- learn all that type of stuff. And I do feel, you know, if, if there's any adv- advanced civilizations that have come before us with advanced technology, clearly they, did, they either integrated with nature or didn't at their peril. And so it seems to me that there's some sort of crucial skills that we need to learn to not necessarily disconnect ourselves from nature, but create jeopardy to con- constantly connect back. And, and so I guess the, the question in this for you is, you know, tinkering school was something I, I learned about. I seem to be seeing a lot more homeschooling happening. Uh, now in the U.S., especially where people are saying, you know what, I want to go back to uh, sort of maybe not conservative roots, but sort of core, either core values or core skill sets using weaponry. Uh, there's too much wokeism in the school now, that type of stuff. And so I'm, I'm observing, and I don't know if you're doing the same, a sort of a sort of countervailing force where parents are actually saying the school will do what it's going to do. But if it gets a little bit too soft we're going to have to teach those skills outside of school and that could be through youtube it could be through as you say games uh there seems to be a plethora of stuff that you can now get kids plugged into that will create the jeopardy that that you now have as an adult but possibly you could have had sooner as as a kid so um i suppose as, as kind of a rounding off point if you were king of the world um how would how would you re-engineer the education system in a way that could actually work i'd love to hear you riff on that Mm, interesting. Um, I mean, it's interesting when you say, you know, uh, the schools will teach you a certain thing, but people are teaching, or at least the spirit is teaching the, the, sort of the harder skills, as in the, the more solid skills underneath everything. I, I see it the opposite way as well, uh, if not more, which is when you do computer science at school, you, you don't learn about computers at all. I mean, I work in computers all the time, programming them, getting up to all sorts of mischief. And none of the skills that my children have learned in computer science uh, are in any way useful and um, they are just to the curriculum so it, it's I, I always find it the other way as well so there's there's so many skills i mean you say a bucket list almost of the things that you need to tinker with i literally have one my, uh, my wife and i sat down one day and wrote our alternative bucket list that if we gave these to our children then these would be the things that we would almost be proud that you have done um and that they're not normal i should say I mean, I'm, I'm literally looking on my phone now for it. Here we go. I'll, I'll read you the, the the first however many that, that seem to be um, palatable. You know, ride a bicycle, clearly. Drive a car, swim, scuba dive, ski. Ride a horse, make alcohol, make bread, milk a cow, skydive, break a bone, fall in love, get a piercing, run a marathon, skin an animal, uh, swim naked, make a fire, climb a mountain, be at somebody's last moment, be at a birth, meet the queen, See a dead person, row a boat, get arrested, gamble a thousand on red, own Bitcoin, say to a barman, I'll have the usual, and it means something. Swim with dolphins, 
travel at 100 miles an hour on your own. You know, that would be my curriculum. And, you know, the, these are, as I said before, every, if you start at the top of that pyramid, you have an experience. And to follow through on that experience, you need all those layers of paint as you put it to support that top of that pyramid. So even if you say own Bitcoin, okay, well, good luck to you owning Bitcoin because it's quite a tricky situation to try and then get a wallet and figure out how you then, you know, use your wallet and then transfer and put it in escrow so that your money goes through, you know, and you need to be really good at computers to own Bitcoin. Okay. Or you can be a very different person and go, I'm just going to get somebody to buy it for me on an exchange. You go, well, that's another way of doing it. Okay, cool. So there are lots of ways of doing this sort of thing, but you know, Getting arrested, I think, is a really, I, you know, I, sort of, I sort of nearly got arrested a few times. But, you know, it's really interesting because all of a sudden you need to know about the law and you need to know about human rights. And all of a sudden you need to know about, you know, physicality. You might even need to know how to get out of a pair of handcuffs, for instance. Um, so, you know, each one of those, again, it's a spider diagram that bursts into my head. So maths, yes, I would rather learn maths the other way round, rather than here's a bunch of maths that doesn't seem practical and good luck finding and attaching it to interesting practical things. Start with the practical things and start to coalesce all the maths that you need to solve all of that. So my curriculum would be exactly this sort of stuff. Okay, today we're going to go to a hospital and watch a birth. You know, okay, come on, kids, you know, scrub up. We're going to do this thing, you know, um, and there will be questions about life and death and birth and rebirth and religion and medical stuff and sterilization and blood pressure and, you know, intubation. What is a placenta and when do you cut the cord? And, you know, what if it's a boy? What if it's a girl? What does that mean to society? It's got hair. Well, it hasn't got hair. You know, all of the genetics, you know, all of that stuff will come out. And we're, we're, we're teaching it the wrong way is essentially what I'm trying to say. The pyramids are the wrong way around. Now, I would like you to text me that list because I think I'll put it in the show <laughs> notes below um, so people can refer to it. But uh, to sort of bring this full circle... I think, you know, I agree with you that that you sort of have to hack learning now. And I think that's the big change is there's more acceptance for the word hacking. It used to be a black a black hat thing back in the day, but now it's almost considered cool. There's even my son's talking to about hack schooling um, and he's watched YouTube videos about it and stuff. So to kind of bring this full circle, it's it's there's a there's an expression that says it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener at war. And I think if you think of it that way, if you can accumulate the knowledge, and as you say, pretend, and as, as we both say, actually, um, always pretend you're not the smartest guy in the room, because then you'll always benefit and not have an ego. And I think, uh, I think um, that's an interesting space that, that continues to fascinate me. I do, like you want to make lists. Um, we're using chore apps now, so kids learn about finance and work and stuff, but through the new way of doing it rather than the old way. Um, so I, I'd, I'd love to have another conversation with you none of the time, but this has been a fabulous episode, Dino, and really appreciate you coming on to teach us about your backstory and also, you know, how to, how to become an innovative mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just two very practical things, by the way, you know, just yep. digital things, you know, I run a, a, a Twitter feed, which I haven't posted on in a while, but it's called fun facts, you know, fun facts that are fun, you know, and that again is like, it's kind of cool that I run it. Um, because it keeps me honest and I need to find facts, but I haven't, I haven't done it in a while because I've been busy, but everything on there is just, oh, this is great, this is great, this is great. So, you know, have a go and a look at that. You know, just even dinner party conversation starters, fun facts are exactly where we should be. You go, I didn't realize that. That's really interesting. I didn't know that, you know, data centers use 1% of the world or the beef is a material noun. 
a bit like, I don't know, air or concrete. You know, you don't get concretes. But beef used to be in that, you know, there used to be beeves, you know, all that. So you just go, this is fascinating. So that's number one is like fun facts, I think, are perfect encapsulation of where we should be today, which is, you know, fun fact and the the starter of a fire. And I think the other thing is, is, you know, I, I do a dinosaur. My name is Dino and it's a it's a pun. Right? It's what Dino saw. And every Monday I, I publish it on YouTube. It's called The Dinosaur. It's a bit tech leaning, but it's a bit societal leaning and there's, there's, there's creativity in there. But what that allows me to do is I've now got the jeopardy of not missing a dinosaur on a Monday morning. And on a Sunday afternoon, I bed in for three hours putting a dinosaur together, seven interesting things in seven days, and let's go, you know, put it on the video, and I do the video, and I, you know, all that sort of good stuff. But the jeopardy is people are now expecting me to do that, and I have to find something interesting to defend my honour, because that is now what I've <laughs> signed myself up for. So on a practical level, you know, there are two resources. Go and have a look at those. Go and show your children those as well. There are plenty of people that work at Sky or work at my other places I've been that follow it and they go, thank you so much. I always show it to my children. Um, you know, you're inspiring them and how, how should I get into this? You go, just be interested in everything, you know, like I am. Fun facts and just everything has an angle. Everything has a story. So just to end, you know, there's two practical things that uh, 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 something I do, but hopefully will be useful as well to everybody else. I think they're very useful and I'll, I definitely follow one, but not the other, but I'll soon follow the other. And as I say, I'll put it all on the, uh, the show notes for the episode so people can join in and, and hopefully we can all get ready for the apocalypse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> be, I'll be ready waiting. to survive. Yeah. <laughs> Got stuff buried around London just in case. Um, but if you want, if you want to come to my house uh, during the apocalypse, you have to get past the wheelie bin shield first. Okay. I'll have to, I'll have to figure out what the code, the code is somewhere embedded in your Twitter feed. I'll have to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Well, Dino, thanks for coming on today. Fascinating episode and uh, look forward to chatting again soon. My absolute pleasure. I look forward to it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. Uh, if you like what you hear, you can dive into a lot more on thesparkhub.com.